You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Hundreds of patients are finding out surgeries scheduled in the next couple of months are being postponed. As Richard Zussman reports, it's happening at Victoria's biggest hospital and once again, staff shortages are to blame. It's now a term linked so closely to healthcare. Workforce challenges leading to canceled surgeries here at Royal Jubilee Hospital in Victoria. We just don't have enough perioperative nurses and nurses who work in the post-anesthetic care unit to go up to our normal numbers. From September 5th to October 27th, one of the hospital's 10 operating rooms will be closed, impacting as many as 312 patients, although it likely will be fewer, factoring longer complex surgeries. I work very hard with our surgeons, going very hard on recruitment to make sure that this has the least possible effect. In other words, if we're able to open operating rooms sooner, uh, then we're going to do that. Health Minister Adrian Dix meeting with staff at Royal Jubilee earlier this week, acknowledging it's not ideal to cancel any surgery. But overall, the system is performing well. For example, from August 6th to 12th in 2019, province-wide, 4,879 surgeries were performed. This year... 5,465. Yes, there's pressure in the system because there's demand in the system. We've added significantly across the province operating room nurses and everyone else. We're also adding surgeries and there's more people needing surgeries. But the opposition quick to point out they are still hearing every day from people waiting too long. Whether it is waiting for a diagnostic test, whether it's waiting for a referral to a specialist, whether it's getting a family doctor in British Columbia, all of those are absolutely in crisis. This comes as the province is bracing for respiratory illness season and even more pressure on staffing. Back in 2019-20, there were about 9,000 healthcare workers away at least one day per week, about 6% of the health workforce. Last year, it was 15,000 workers per week, or about 9.5%. And on top of that, more than 800,000 people in BC still don't have a family doctor. If people were able to access more timely care, more primary care, perhaps more preventative medicine could help also avoid this higher demand of surgeries. The province unsure how many more surgeries will have to be cancelled this year due to staffing challenges. But the commitment from Island Health is those here who have had those surgeries postponed will have them rebooked as quickly as possible. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And staffing shortages are also contributing to overnight ER closures, this time on Haida Gwaii. Northern Health says the emergency room at the Northern Haida Gwaii Hospital in Masset is expected to close overnight, Saturday, Sunday and Tuesday due to a nursing shortage. But that could change, they say, if staffing improves. The only other hospital on Haida Gwaii is in Dodging Geeds, about an 80-minute drive away. Northern Health is urging residents in need of care to call 911 for travel to the nearest ER in case the one in Masset reopens. A push to improve communication and cooperation during wildfire emergencies has some suggesting B.C. could learn a lesson from Australia. The huge Bush Creek East fire saw many people staying behind to protect their homes, often in conflict with the B.C. Wildfire Service. But as Cassidy Moscone reports, in Australia, that behavior is encouraged. 
As British Columbia burns and our career firefighters are stretched to their limits, citizens are stepping up to the mark. Our firefighters were out there on, on Friday and Saturday two weeks ago on the front lines without a lot of help other than our local volunteer fire departments. In small communities in the shoe swap, everyday people have put their professions on hold and picked up the hose. Certainly BC Wildfires is not used to working with communities in terms of putting out fires in local areas. And so it's been a learning curve for both them and us. After a somewhat frosty reception, Canadian authorities seem to be warming up to the idea of looking to locals for help. This is something that we know we need to and want to expand. We want to work with local governments, we want to work with fire departments across BC, as well as the general public that are willing and want to support response should their uh, communities see an impact from a wildfire in the future. There is a program uh, within the ministry, the Community Response Network, where members of the public who want to help, who have expertise or equipment to offer, contribute by fitting into the command structure. Volunteer firefighting services run around the globe, but not many of them rely as heavily on them as my home country, Australia. Hundreds of thousands of volunteers make up brigades around the nation. The majority of them are unpaid. What started as locals creating firefighting services where there were none has now grown to be the biggest force of volunteer fireys in the world. I've been with the Rural Fire Service about 50 years now, they tell me. I joined up because in the early days it was just a community service and that was what country living was all about. We need to look at all the different models out there because there is something that's better than what we've got right now. It is slowly starting to happen. As of this last weekend, we've had over 50 people that have been trained to how to fight and work with BC wildfires. Lessons to learn and rethinking relationships as our climate changes. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Highway 4 on Vancouver Island has finally fully reopened, but for some communities, it's too little too late. They missed the summer rush. And as Kylie Stanton reports, they're trying to squeeze as much as they can out of the long weekend. The clock has been ticking for nearly three months now, and those here waiting have found ways to pass the time. I'm reading my book, yeah, having some snacks. Some get in a little exercise, others extra sleep. But now it's finally time to get the show on the road. The last day. On Thursday evening, Highway 4, which links Tofino, Euclid and Port Alberni to the rest of Vancouver Island, fully reopened to two-lane traffic. The route badly damaged by the Cameron Bluffs wildfire back in early June. The work to repair it resulting in a long summer of intermittent closures. And the timing couldn't have been worse. <laughs> this is the tourist season and it's Labor Day weekend and usually this is kind of when things start to wind down. The impact on businesses that rely heavily on the summer traffic, immeasurable. What's prompted calls from the region's mayors and stakeholders for a permanent paved secondary roadway. Right now we are looking at every alternative route possible and then we'll 
whittle that down over time and really focus on the one that makes the most economic, demographic and logistical sense. Compensation for those who've been financially impacted, now also a priority. Our community is actually considering putting forward an emergency resolution to UBCM, which comes up in a couple of weeks, to discuss compensation to all communities that have been impacted by wildfire and the results. While tourism here has taken a massive hit, industry has suffered as well. The sand group was forced to get creative, using its deep sea port to barge in supplies in order to keep the 3,000 employees here afloat. So the road closure for us has been an opportunity to showcase what we can do and we're doing it. In a statement, the Ministry of Emergency Management and Climate Readiness said after an emergency like a wildfire is over, our focus shifts to taking quick action to help those in the impacted communities recover. But the real test will be when the rains come. Fingers crossed. Of course, that's only a matter of time. Kylie Stanton, Global News. BC Ferry says fewer people are waiting for sailings this holiday long weekend compared to last year. On Thursday, ferries carried almost 43,000 passengers between Metro Vancouver and the island. That includes 15,500 vehicles. Both those figures are down compared to the same day last year. And a whopping 51% fewer vehicles are experiencing sailing waits this year. But it's not all smooth sailing. Late this afternoon, the company warned an early morning round trip between Saltery Bay and Earl's Cove is at risk because of a crew shortage. BC's housing minister says he's disappointed with the city of Prince George's plan to remove a tent encampment without providing shelter to residents. The city says the situation in Millennium Park significantly deteriorated last month. And now it's planning to clear the encampment. It says increased density in the encampment has led to serious safety concerns, which have, has, which have affected emergency responders' ability to provide help to camp residents. Housing Minister Ravi Kalan says his ministry offered resources such as dedicated encampment response staff and the deployment of temporary housing units. But he says the city's chosen not to access them. Residents are being ordered to remove their property from the encampment by September the 9th. When classes resume next week, police officers will be back in Vancouver schools. The VPD Liaison Officer Program is being restarted two years after it was disbanded. But as Kamal Karmali reports, critics say the concerns that led to the program's cancellation still haven't been properly addressed. An announcement by the Vancouver School Board we knew was coming. This fall, schools will see the return of police officers, known as School Liaison Officers, or SLOs. SLOs will be available to any student or family member for support and guidance. The reimagined School Liaison Program beginning this fall will include less formal uniforms, cultural awareness training, and more discreet firearms. And that's all part of humanizing those police officers and making sure that our youth can see them as the people they are. We live in a society and a culture that is biased and bigoted. Two months ago, members of the VPD's African Descent Advisory Committee walked out of a board meeting after claiming their opposition to the program was not fully considered. And we see a shutting down of a democratic process. We should not have police in schools because it harms particular groups of kids. Highlighting concerns about how marginalized and racialized youth will react. 
what happens particularly with uh, black and indigenous folk and racialized populations is the criminalization of folks. Back in 2021, the controversial program was canceled after an independent third-party report found a majority of black and indigenous students didn't feel safe with officers at schools. But this past November, a newly elected ABC council voted to reinstate the program after fears of gangs recruiting teens at schools. And they're looking for young people who are looking for fast, easy cash. But for this black advocacy group, police aren't the answer. You can have a, a, a teacher or an administrator or staff person intervene if things arise with students. Um, an armed officer is not, necess not necessary to deal with student interventions. They're planning to educate teens about their rights when dealing with police. Kamel Karamali, Global News. A major crackdown on people fishing where they shouldn't. The DFO says the rules are crystal clear, but people in this particular area keep breaking them, intentionally or not. The crackdown that's making sure people stay out of the no-go zones, even when the fish are jumping like they are. That's next on the News Hour. Former BC boxer and bouncer Gord Reset writes a book about what it's like being the toughest guy of his generation. That's coming up later on the News Hour. Also tonight, another BC city ready to freeze out residential natural gas. What Nanaimo wants people to use for heating instead. Right now, though, tens of millions of pink salmon are returning to spawn. A bonanza for amateur anglers all along BC's south coast. But there's another at-risk species that's getting caught up in the frenzy. And as Paul Johnson reports, the DFO is out enforcing the rules to protect it. We're heading north up the majestic Indian Arm with fisheries officers Trevor and Nicole. It's an enforcement and conservation mission, but one made necessary because of a good news story. Pink salmon returned to spawn on a two-year cycle. This is one of them, and the pinks are hitting the south coast in the tens of millions right now. In a rockfish closed area. Look at the show they put on over Trevor's shoulder as he explained the situation. Whoa, how's it going? So with the pink run drawing a ton of boats, the concern is some anglers will wander into areas that are off limits to protect other species of fish. So you're doing some salmon fishing? Yeah. Okay, so unfortunately you're in an area that's closed right now. Friday, the people found in the wrong places had their licenses checked and were given warnings. With you being on the rod, you should know where you're supposed to be, right? So the closures are to protect certain kinds of rockfish like lingcod that are slow growing and low in numbers. A bunch of salmon fishermen hooking them by accident could easily fish them out. You go off Google Maps, so basically like It can be a challenge to know exactly where the closed areas are, but that's no excuse for dropping a line in one. So do your homework. Here's how DFO sees it. If you're purchasing a fishing license, you're taking part in a regulatory activity, just like driving. So you've got to know the rules, what's going on. Below us, there's another closed area as well. It's also worth noting that the mostly educational work we saw here is backed up by some fairly sharp teeth. DFO fines for non-compliant fishing can easily run into the high hundreds for a single catch. And if you're a repeat offender, they can just seize your boat. 
something to think about if you're excited that the fish are jumping this year. In Indian Arm, Paul Johnson, Global News. Lions Bay Village Council has voted to keep its trails and visitor parking closed throughout the long weekend and into next week. The closures were approved last week over concerns an unprecedented number of hikers could pose a wildfire risk. In a news release at the time, the village said any fire on the trails would be just hundreds of meters away from people's homes and that an ongoing water shortage would make it difficult to fight any fires. The closure has proven controversial, though, with some questioning just how much of a fire risk hikers can pose. The decision will be revisited at the next village council meeting on Wednesday. A new poll shows nearly half of all Canadians are just getting by financially and younger people are being hit the hardest. Travis Prasad has some expert advice on how to ease the burden when you're living paycheck to paycheck. Life these days isn't so cheap. I'm paying probably $600 a month in fuel for my car. Go shopping for pretty much anything and the steep cost of living is clear. What's up? Groceries? Look at $15. What did you get for 15 bucks? Three oranges, three apples, and a cantaloupe. In a new poll by Leger, nearly half of all Canadians say they're currently living paycheck to paycheck. Among people aged 35 to 54, it's even higher at 57%. On top of that, 38% of Canadians are concerned about losing their jobs within the next 12 months. That worry is higher among younger people aged 18 to 34. We've noticed that Canadians are more conservative in their spending plans this fall. Fewer beeps at the cash register signaling a downward shift in spending. We have concern about the economic um, future for retailers, but we understand why Canadians are, are um, being careful at this time. Purchases are being prioritized as the cost of everyday essentials keeps climbing. From groceries to gas, finance experts say it all adds up quicker than you might expect and being cautious is critical. But there are legitimately ways that you can reduce your expenses. So buying in bulk. So some people say, hey, I'm not into sort of going to these big warehouses and shopping. If you partner up with your friends and family, it's a very easy way to cut back. And an opportunity for more savings might already be in your hand. Maybe um, you can assess your cell phone plans. Um, it's really easy with the rigor of day-to-day -day life to kind of lose track of, hey, I, there might be an offer if I change providers. There might be a way for me to, to cut back um, in that area. 60% of Canadians describe their household finances as good. In B.C., that number drops to 53%, the lowest of all provinces. We know that they're feeling stretched, that they're struggling. Uh, that's why we boosted the B.C. Family Benefit with extra support for single parents. As Canadians grapple with the cost of living, all eyes are on the cost of borrowing. The Bank of Canada giving an update on its key interest rate on September 6th. Travis Prasad, Global News. Just ahead, inexperienced drivers feeling gouged as they go back to school. The high cost of insurance and how the switch to a no-fault model hasn't helped. And the hits keep coming for Taylor Swift, how she's dominating the box office now, too.
It's a busy one this evening here for eastbound traffic on Highway 17. There is a semi-truck with a shifted load here that has traffic down to just a single lane and backed up all the way to the Alex Fraser Bridge. And then further back here, there is also a semi that rear-ended an ambulance slowing you down as well. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $40 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 17 on the Surrey Delta border. Of course, just in time for the long weekend, gas prices took a nice dip in many areas around Metro Vancouver. The price is hovering around a buck 98.9, while some were even as low as a dollar 93.9. That's a steep drop from the $2.13 earlier this week. Petroleum analyst Dan McTeague says the drop today is largely a market overcorrection from those high prices earlier in the week, and they should be back to a more normal price around two bucks a liter by the end of the weekend. Well, from gas costs to insurance costs now, when ICBC brought in no-fault insurance two years ago, it was pitched as a way to control soaring rates. And so far, the insurance company is holding the line on basic rates. True, but as Janet Brown reports, new drivers still find themselves paying a hefty premium for the privilege of driving. Okay, we'll just head out now, Sam. 18-year-old Sam Hofstead of Surrey is looking forward to starting university next week. What he's not looking forward to is his commute. Because of the vehicle insurance cost, never mind the price of gas. I'd say it's just outrageous, the insurance cost. I would say, you know, you have to really put yourself in the kid's shoes and think, you know, how can people be affording this? He says his part-time job while going to university won't come close to paying for insurance. That's why his dad has to step in and help out. In our case, I can help pay the insurance, but I'm sure many children uh, at that age and going to university can't get that help. He says the cost of insurance for new drivers is almost becoming cost prohibitive. In his case, adding his son to his insurance means the cost will go up by about 67%. And I'm like, how am I going to handle this? On top of, you know, the increased gas prices, the tax on the gas prices, and everything else that the government is, is charging me. ICBC says insurance rates in the province are among the lowest in Canada. But one of the things dependent on the premium is a driver's experience. We know that inexperienced drivers are at a greater risk of getting into a crash. In many cr cases, these crashes can be more severe. So their insurance premium is a reflective of that. So it really is best to talk to your insurance broker to make sure that you're doing what is best for you and your family. The opposition party says insurance costs for new drivers are unaffordable at a time when financial pressures for most people are mounting. These are kids that are getting to school, getting to work, um, getting to soccer, getting to, getting to hockey. And right now, who's absorbing that cost? They are, their parents are, and it's absolutely unacceptable. Stop right here, dear. As for Sam and his dad, they're hoping the road ahead will be smooth. And next time when the insurance comes up for renewal, the cost will be a little less. Janet Brown, Global News. Starting next summer, new homes in Nanaimo will be barred from using natural gas as their primary source of heat. City Council narrowly voted to adopt the province's zero carbon step code by July of next year. 
The code requires new buildings to be primarily heated by electricity, although backup heat sources such as gas fireplaces would still be allowed. The province is requiring all new buildings to be zero carbon by 2030, but this move speeds up that process in Nanaimo. Council approved it by a 5-4 to four vote with those in favour saying it's a necessary move to reduce emissions quickly. Literally, there is no time left to make decisions like this. Like, we're in a climate crisis, we're seeing it, and we have to make these high-level policy decisions accordingly. I think adhering to provincial timelines would allow more time for builders and developers to learn and to adapt. It would give time for possible future government incentives to come online for builders or homeowners. The adoption of the zero carbon step code will not prohibit the installation of new gas stoves. Just ahead, developers push back against a voluntary payment that really isn't. When you pay your CAC, you get your rezoning approved. Controversy over the community amenity contribution and why this tax expert says it's more like a bribe. Plus, the infectious diseases on the back-to-school watch list and the best ways to avoid them. Still super busy for eastbound traffic here on Highway 17 through Delta and Surrey. There are not one but two problems. There is a semi that rear-ended an ambulance, and then further east, there is a semi with a shifted load. You're down to one lane through this stretch, and that's why it's so backed up. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 17 in Surrey. In the ongoing challenge to get more homes built, one tax expert is highlighting an expense developers have to pay to municipalities, even though it's considered voluntary. It's known as the community amenity contribution, and it can add up to millions depending on the project. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the province seems to understand it's a problem. Before a nail is driven, or a yard of concrete poured. Developers have already spent, in some cases, millions of dollars getting the project construction ready. As much as 30% of these soft costs are tied up in taxes, fees, and what are known as CACs, community amenity contributions. Money developers pay to cities to fund community centers or daycares or parks. According to tax experts, Cities don't have any legal authority to levy CACs, but they do it anyway. It's become standard practice for the contributions to be negotiated. Some call it nothing more than extortion. City governments shaking down developers to ease pressure on municipal budgets. Let's just say it how it is. When you pay your CAC, you get your rezoning approved. So you don't pay, it's not approved. The added fees add up developers passing those extra costs straight to buyers or renters. And while affordable housing is listed as a key goal for just about every city in BC, developers say housing would be cheaper if cities took less from the development to start with. The CACs that are being asked for on rental are, are, are crazy. Like the one we're looking at, we're looking at one right now and it's $40,000 a suite as a combination of on-site amenities and cash. The practice and scope of CACs varies from city to city, and the patchwork of rules can be difficult to navigate. 
The provincial government is promising transparency. This fall, when legislation is introduced to mandate province-wide zoning changes, the government also intends to clear up the issue of CACs. So that when somebody comes through the door of any local government, they know the cost up front and there's no negotiating of the costs later. Developers are asking the province to set down in the legislation what cities can charge. It isn't clear yet how the province intends to act. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Most parents know back to school means a greater chance your kid is going to get sick. But doctors aren't expecting this flu season to be quite as bad as last year. Between RSV and influenza, 2022 was an unprecedented season. But early numbers from the Southern Hemisphere, which is ahead of us on the influenza calendar, indicate it won't be as significant this time around. Still, there are risks with the return to the classroom, in particular for influenza B, which is more common in children. There are things to watch for if you're concerned about your child's health. A child who's having any difficulty breathing, that's a reason to go in more urgently. So they're breathing quite quickly or working a lot to breathe. Other things include a prolonged fever that's not going away after a number of days is another reason to come in. Or one of the things kids need to do always is, is drink. So if they're not taking in fluids or they're too uh, lethargic and not getting up, um, those would be other reasons to bring in. Dr. Goldfarb says kids can pick up as many as six different viruses throughout the school year. He also says if your child does appear to be unwell, just don't send them to school. Good advice. All right, still to come, Taylor Swift does it again. Are you ready for it? She's still on tour, but a documentary based on the concert is already breaking records. That's after the break. Also tonight. Nobody would fight me. Gord Reset was once considered the toughest guy in the province. How he turned that into a professional boxing career and then wrote a book about it. Ten years of headlines. Ten years of stories. Ten years of being there when BC needs us most. Ten years of around-the-clock breaking news. Ten years of BC One. A traffic stop in southwestern Ontario took an unexpected turn. Ontario Provincial Police say an officer pulled over a driver in Cambridge for speeding on Thursday. The officer then heard a sound coming from a nearby ditch. And a few moments later, a stray kitten emerged. The kitten was taken to the vet. The driver got off with a warning. Driver's in a good mood when you have fun, little kitten. Yeah. Put you in a good How could mood. you not be? All right. <laughs> uh, are we going to weather next? Yes. Christy Gordon is standing by with a look at our weather forecast. First day of September, and you've got a calendar behind you. Yeah, so I thought we'd look back at August. I can't believe it's the first day of September. We're starting off with sunshine, and I love being back at August. In fact, in terms of the total rainfall amounts, we actually saw near average rainfall, but it only happened on four days in terms of measurable rainfall. Typically, we'd have about seven days of rainfall in the month of August, and we know from climate change, that's sort of what we're going to start to see is more extremes, where we get really intense rain, but over a shorter period of time, and that doesn't allow that moisture to really seep into the ground. It causes a 
lot of runoff. So that's sort of what we saw through the month of August. And we're starting off September with sunshine. We didn't have very much smoke across Metro Vancouver today because of a northwest flow. But this is the image right now. We're starting to see a bit more uh, smoke develop. Uh, earlier today, we didn't have a lot of smoke uh, from the fires in the interior. Tomorrow, we're going to see more of an onshore flow. We're hoping to keep things clear across Metro Vancouver. But for those of you in the interior, you'll continue with local smoke and we'll likely see hazy conditions in through the Fraser Valley. Tomorrow, hot and sunny, other than that smoke. And then Sunday, we're going to see a weak front move across. That's going to bring in a chance of showers for those of you in interior. So that's some good news in terms of higher humidity and lower temperatures, but it could come with gusty winds. In the meantime, there's a look. We're expecting sunshine and heat for our Saturday. Local smoke for those of you in the interior. Not much smoke across Vancouver Island. 31 in Port Alberni. And for the Metro Vancouver region, 28 degrees away from the water. Again, hazy in through the Fraser Valley, but likely not much in through Metro Vancouver. Sunday brings in a cloud, cloud and a chance of showers, but we're back to sunshine and drier conditions on Monday and the first day of school. But it looks like the second, which tends to be the first full day of school, that's when we're expecting showers once again. So thankfully, some showers over the next little while. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from, actually taken from the Stanley Park area. This is the August blue moon. Blue moon means the second full moon in one month. So we had one on August 1st and then one on the 30th, which doesn't happen very often. Rare indeed. Thanks to Dickensia for that. I mean, Back it looks you. orange to me, but... but. It, it does. <laughs> it, it looks like the sun more than it does the moon, but it's a gorgeous shot, uh, no yeah. doubt. Thanks, Christy. Mm -hmm. All right, tickets to Taylor Swift's Eras Tour are in huge demand. And now a film about the concert series has set a record for advanced sales in theaters. Going on sale just yesterday afternoon, tickets have already generated $26 million U.S. in revenue. AMC says that's shattered records for single-day advanced ticket sale revenue at the chain. Spider-Man No Way Home holds the previous record at $16.9 million. Now, these figures are for AMC only. They don't include other chains, and no word on how sales have been going in Canada. The movie is set to be in theaters next month. Good karma if you can get those tickets. It's always a real no skill walking that red carpet and standing for the photographers, isn't it? She's yeah, got it right down. Now. She nails it. Yeah. Got the look. Uh, okay. I'm sure you would be able to too, Squire. <laughs> Not like that. Not like that. <laughs> That's next level. Uh, the Whitecaps will play New York FC tomorrow afternoon, and that game will be at Yankee Stadium, which is a great place for baseball, but not so great for playing soccer on. When we have the ball, we need to keep it simple because uh, this, this, the field is very narrow and tight. Now the Whitecaps haven't been there in about five years, so they don't have a lot of experience playing on what is the smallest field in MLS. Thanks, Squire. Also tonight, satellite debris coming up. Is that Belinda Carlisle? I have great hot dog memories at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Were you watching baseball or soccer? I was watching baseball. Baseball. <laughs> yes, yeah. not soccer. Well, it's built I'm for I'm sure baseball. they'll still have hot dogs. Oh, I'm sure they will have hot dogs and all the refreshments. But the field's <laughs> going to be a little bit narrow. The uh, Whitecaps will be playing at Yankee Stadium tomorrow against New York FC at 12.30 our time. And, of course, Vancouver's looking for a third straight road win, which is something you don't see very often from any MLS team. Three straight on the road. And this will be a much different game because soccer at Yankee Stadium is a tight squeeze. It's the smallest pitch in Major League Soccer. It's barely legal by FIFA standards, very narrow. The Caps have not been there since 2018, so there's not a lot of history for them to draw from, although Brian White does have some experience playing there, having been formerly a member of the New York Red Bulls, the NYFC's rivals. It's, um, it's going to be a tough challenge. It's a difficult place to play. I've known from experience that the field's a bit different with the, the baseball pitch. So, um, yeah, we just have to recover and be prepared for that. When we have the ball, we need to keep it simple because uh, this, this, the field is very narrow and tight, so it's easy for the other team to press you. And uh, so if we are able to uh, break the first line of pressure, go as fast as we can forward. Whitecaps are going this way. The Lions are going that way. They haven't been playing very well of late, but they could end that tomorrow in a game against Montreal on the road starting at 4 o'clock. A lot of holes have suddenly appeared in the Lions' defense. And this, of course, is one of the best defenses in the CFL. In fact, it already has two shutouts this season. However, they have been taking a lot of penalties. As we said earlier in the week, discipline is a problem. I don't think we really changed what we were doing early on in the season. It's the same thing. It's just us being disciplined. You know, uh, you get away with a lot of things when you're winning and offense scoring a lot of points. But when it's a tough game and it's, and it's a close game, you got to be extra disciplined out there. And I feel like we weren't that. And you can see that from us being the number one penalized team in the league and then us giving wide open gaps on the run or, or whether it's in the passing game, second down and long, we're giving conversions up. So for us, we, we just got to be more disciplined and just understand the moment. Well, boxing may stand in the shadow of MMA these days, but there was a time it was all fighting inside a square and not in an octagon. And during those days, Nanaimo's Gordy Reset was one of the best-known boxers from B.C. There is no doubt Gord Reset was a tough guy, and that's how he ended up becoming a pro boxer. Back in the late 70s, Brissett was a menace in these so-you-think-you're-tough competitions. Basically, anyone could sign up, and he was a little too good beating up the bikers and street fighters. I would show up to fights, and when they found out that I had registered, they'd leave the building. So uh, if I wanted to keep moving on, I had to turn pro. Reset always dreamed of being a pro athlete. He wanted to travel the world and live a fun lifestyle. And boxing seemed to be the path to that dream. He did fight for two Canadian heavyweight championships in his career, but lost them both to Trevor Burbank and then Conroy Nelson. But it was a fight that never happened that could have changed the course of his career. He was set to fight Leon Spinks in Nanaimo in 1984, but Spinks had second thoughts. He was uh, getting ready for a world title fight himself. Fighting me and losing would have put him out of that. And so he didn't want any of that, didn't want any part of me. Uh, Burbick put his money on me. There's a, a few other top pros that put their money on me. And, and then he went, I think I made a wrong decision. And so uh, he left town by bus because the promoter wouldn't pay for him anymore. And uh, that was the last I seen him. I was in shape. I would have knocked him out. Boy, I would have beat him bad. 
it would have been a show I was looking forward to it, uh, to everybody in Enamel. Yeah. And then I would have had a title shot. Beating yeah. him, I would have had a sure. title shot with Michael. Yeah. Back in. <laughs> Reset was a great athlete, an accomplished rugby and lacrosse player, which is amazing considering he had a huge obstacle to overcome when he was just a teenager. See, what people don't know is that when I was 17, I had my heel amputated and I was told I'd never run again. It took me about four years or so, yeah, just over four years to learn how to walk again. To get back into it, to get into a sport, was just fantastic to me. But he overcame all that to have a pretty successful career that he's turning into a book due out soon. But he's always had an admiration for those who persevere. When I see guys working their butts off, kudos to them. I'll do anything I can to help them out because I know how tough it is. Is that Rocky Balboa congratulating him? It looked, it looked like it. Yeah. Okay, uh, at the uh, World Cup of Basketball, Brazil beat Canada 69-65. we got to beat Spain on Sunday to stay in this thing. There you go. All right, let's hope we can do it. Can't wait to read Gordy's book either when it finally comes out. Stick around. Satellite Debris is up next. I know we don't have a lot of time, but we're all four together again. It's oh, nice. Wow. My mom noticed. Oh, hi, Andrea Galis. <laughs> hi, Mom. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Okay, Sorry. we'll start uh, Satellite Debris September 1st. Off with the uh, a little commercial to promote the Great British Bake Off in Great Britain. British Bake Off on Channel 4, coming soon. But you got to be there to have Channel 4. A little like overly the, uh, excited. Yeah. Okay, so uh, two here. One uh, for Favor Food Delivery from Texas, where you used to live, Chris. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ritz. Bigger. There we go. Moving to Texas, I've learned that Texans love ordering food with Favor, the restaurant delivery app that's part of HEB. And when football's on, my neighborhood turns into a ghost town. Quiet around here, huh? Yeah. Hey, Pete, the game's on. Save me a nacho. Favor of Texas orders in. Oi, they're for the guests. Move!
story, Ritz. Don't worry about it. Come in, come in. Ritz, ready when you aren't. All right, we have uh, two more here. One was uh, sent to me by someone. It's from a while ago, and I, I forgot about this one, but I, I just have to show you because it's so weird. <laughs> Seriously, guys, we haven't made this up. Look, there's one in the Arctic. People call them the unicorns of the sea. But ours is called Humphrey. Hi, Humphrey. So the eyebrow. Hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Humphrey the narwhal. <laughs> All right, quick word on the weather, Christy. Sure. So sunny tomorrow. We are expecting uh, hazy conditions in through the Fraser Valley. Sunday, a chance of showers. Monday, not too bad. Looks like the first day of school. Looking pretty nice also. Nice. Have a great long weekend, everybody. See you at Blue Rodeo on Monday. <laughs> Good night.